Hello, everyone, and welcome to Left of Skeptic. This is episode 135. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, you just got right into town from from a, a journey. A jaunt. How was it? It was great. It was uh it was the twins' birthday party. Aww. They are five years old. And my brain can't even comprehend that. Doesn't it make you feel so old? Not really, because I, in some ways, I feel like it's going really slow. Ah, uh, but yeah, yeah. In case anybody hasn't heard me say this eight hundred times before, I am child-free by choice, and I they are hitting that age where I don't know what to do. Oh yes, because they're not quite adult enough to talk to them like adults. But they're not little enough to talk to them like little kids. Well, I do talk to them like adults, but they just don't always, they just don't want to hear it. Oh, yep. Like, uh, specifically, Maya just has her own ideas of of how things are supposed to go. Okay. (laughs) But I'm giving them my regular birthday present for them, which is their Halloween costumes. So I'm waiting for Spirit Halloween to open. And I asked Maya what she wanted to be. And the two options are either she said, I can pick... Or skeleton. Oh. Which skeleton will be easy peasy lemon squeezy, but unless I see something so cute that I can't pass it up. I kind of really want to dress her up like some form of small, like, horror movie villain. Oh, like a cute little Freddy. I was thinking more like uh, uh, Chucky. Uh, Okay, yep. Or maybe Ghostface. And then I'll get her, like, the skeleton stuff, too, so she can have, like, one for school, for kindergarten, and then one for... Inappropriate times around adults. Yep. <laughs> and, like, and, and then who knows, if I get to make her a horror villain, then I can make Zayden a horror villain as well. But I just have to find him I... something without a mask, because he won't do masks. I thought for sure you were going to say a victim. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Like... Oh, my gosh. Make, like... Make Maya, Jason, and Zayden a camp counselor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. That would be funny. My, I don't know how funny that my sister would find that. Sarah, let me know. Please take me with you when you do that. Something about, <laughs> something about like shopping for teeny tiny Halloween costumes just makes me so happy. It's fun. I just, we got to wait for spirit to open. Spirit Halloweens are open other places. Why is it not open here yet? Is there a timeline for ours? Ah, uh, they don't. They don't have anything posted, but hopefully soon. What the hell? And then uh, it's so not like there aren't empty spaces in that mall. They're not. I I don't know if they're going to do the two locations this year. They last year they had one in the mall and one in the old Bed Bath and Beyond. Oh, as far as I know, they're definitely back in the Bed Bath and Beyond. Okay. Oh well. So that's huge. They don't really need two locations then. But it was nice to have the two locations. I visited both regularly. Uh, would. So I'm just waiting for that, and I'm waiting for my 12-foot skeleton to show up so that I can put that up in my front yard. Woot, woot. Woo-hoo. Brittany, how are you doing? I'm just that massive, massive yawn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am doing well. Good. I'm very excited. We're actually recording on a Sunday this week. Wild. I know, I know, <laughs> because we've been recording on Tuesdays, and then it's just like, bah. why do we stop recording on Sundays? Was it just too busy? You were too busy. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't. I'll try to get better I at loved this. It. Yeah, we're, we probably want to switch to Sundays soon anyway, because eventually, uh, my homegrown stuff's gonna start back up. Yep, and then those are almost always Monday nights. Yep. So, and I don't want to do Tuesdays anymore. It's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> Uh, I don't really have any updates. Oh, I do. I do have one update. Do you know what my sister told me? What? She said. So first of all, she made fun of me for so much history. And then I was like, just whatever. I'm going to bring it up all the time. And then she said, not in a mean way, allegedly. She's like, you know, for someone who likes history or who claims to like history so much, you don't know very much of it. Wow. I know. I mean, in all fairness, I learn the history of everything (laughs) that we cover 
And most of it I didn't know. And I get that. I get that. But again, that is the fault of the Cambridge Isani School District, not me. <laughs> I am impassioned. And when I look up the history of these things and I find like all these like historical events, I she she commented on this before. I think it was I don't remember what episode it was, but then she made fun of me for not knowing about the Alamo. And I was like, no one ever fucking told me about the Alamo. (laughs) But you know how much extra learning I did just so I could understand better? Like, oh, Andrea. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, when I showed up at the twins party, one of the first things my mom did was smack me on the arm and say, Kayla, you do too know about the American Revolution. The shot heard around the world, you do know about. I was like, (laughs) mom, I didn't fucking know. I didn't. Uh, Cara listened to it today, and so she was messaging me as as she was listening, and I was getting little updates, <laughs> <laughs> little responses, which in all fairness, I do for her for Prophecy Girls. I'll just like tweet, live tweet the episode as we go along. I should start doing that. It's funny. Um, you were correct about the tricentennial, which I knew you were, but I was just like, meh. <laughs> this podcast makes me feel so dumb sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but One Girl Revolution is the name of the song from Cadet Kelly. Okay. Okay. I'm a One Girl Revolution. I ended up. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, oh, Halloween costumes. Yes. Halloween. Yes. Halloween's coming up, which means that Urban Legends October is coming up. We have some ideas for stuff that we're going to cover. If you don't remember the format, First week of October, we usually cover a category together with a special guest. Yeah. Second week of October, we always do creepy pastas. Yeah. Third week of October, we pick a specific country and cover their urban legends. Uh-huh. And then the last week is a free-for-all. So if you have any suggestions of things you'd like to hear about, feel free to, you know, send a little message to us. Or if you if you listen on Spotify, there's a spot in the bottom that says, you know, what did you think about the episode? You could write it in there. It comes right to our email. Oh my gosh, we got, I think, one of our first ever comments. Yeah, and it was so nice. They just said it was awesome. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. (laughs) I was like, ooh, somebody actually responded. (laughs) No one, because those, we don't actually put those. Those are set up to just be automatically put up. I think we've only ever done one. We can change them. Yeah, we can change them. But but I just never do. I leave it, and someone actually responded, (laughs) and it was lovely. (laughs) You can live message us as you're listening. The way that Kara does, but just via the comment section. (laughs) Just get a lot of really confusing emails. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do you think? Should we crack on into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. We're back. All right. Well, I have another haunted jail this week. All right. I feel like you're really encroaching in on my big haunted buildings thing, Kayla. Yeah, but I like saw an article on it and then I was just like, no, I'm covering this. That's legit. That's legit. Like you could cover a spooky ship if you wanted to sometime. You know what? Some other haunted mode of transportation. I just might. (laughs) Just to spite you. It's not a spiteful thing. (laughs) (laughs) Mine would be. Mine would be out of spite. It would just be pure spite. (laughs) The entire time I'll be like, and the ship. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. So, located at 2445 Old Penitentiary Road in Boise is the Old Idaho Penitentiary. The old Idaho State Penitentiary is one of only four territorial prisons open to the public today. It was built in 1870. During its 101 years of operation, the site saw escapes, scandals, and the effects of Boise's transition from the Wild West to, you know, like mid-20th century capital city. Is Idaho part of the Midwest? No. Okay. It's West. West West. West-West. Okay. 
It was a functional prison until it was closed on December 3rd of 1973, when it was promptly put on the National Register of Historic Places. The first building, the territorial prison, the part that was built in 1870, mm-hmm. is particularly impressive because Idaho was not made a state until 1890. Oh. So that's what they mean when they say territorial prison. It wasn't a state prison when it was built. It was for just for that area. <laughs> yeah. In the early 19th century, much of Idaho was still frontier land. So most of the settlements were lawless, and in order to be included in the Union, it had to have a place to put those no-down, low-down, dirty scoundrels. Yeah. And so the Idaho State Penitentiary was established. It began in 1870 as a one-cell house and quickly became a complex of buildings which were surrounded by a large wall made of sandstone. And actually, that was part of the prisoner's punishment, was to mine the nearby rock quarries in order to build the walls that would hold them in place. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, The buildings were designed by an inmate named George Hamilton, apparently when he wasn't busy, like, doing highway robbery, which Uh is what he was in prison for, he was, you know, quite a skilled craftsman. Oh, so he was just, like, highway robber slash architect. So it's like, at that point, do you question the fact that you are asking an inmate to build their prison? Like, like, is it, like, the plans for the Death Star where there's one, like, specific port that could, like, how do you not know one thing could cause the whole thing to come crumbling down? Uh, Or does he, like, get a reward, like, time taken off of his sentence or something for helping? Yeah, like, when this is done, you can leave. Maybe it was like, if you do this part, we won't make you mine the sandstone. You know, if if I got to design something instead of mining sandstone, I would choose that job (laughs) over mining sandstone. Absolutely. Uh, Other sandstone buildings are also found in the center yard, including cell house blocks one, two, and three, the commissary, the barbershop, the hospital, the chapel, and a dining hall slash kitchen, which are all part of the self-directed tour you can take so you can see all of these buildings. While the sandstone buildings are very pretty, uh, they were not so nice to live in. I can only imagine that they're either really hot or really cold. That's exactly it. Sandstone retains heat in the summer which created like a stifling oven effect. Yeah. And then in the winter times, they held in the cold even when the day would warm up. Jesus, that sounds awful. Proper plumbing was uh, not installed until the 1920s. So for the first like 1870 until then, they had no plumbing, which means probably very poor heat. I was mostly thinking probably really stinky cells. Well, that too. In general, I imagine cells are pretty, like, stinky, though. Yeah. I yeah, mean, sweaty men coming home from mining sandstone yeah, all just, day. No I, showers. I don't think it was going to go well either way. Chamber pots. Uh, the ventilation system was poor as well. Thus, a lot of inmates got sick with diseases oh, and gosh, effects so of exposure through either heat or cold. Around 1923, new buildings were built using stucco. Uh, There was a multi-purpose building, which was originally like a shirt factory. And that's like a big rectangular structure. And that was used for many things over the history of the building, including laundry and communal showers were also located in there. Okay. In 1923, also, a solitary confinement building was needed for unruly inmates. So it was built and located in the left-hand corner of the prison. Small dark cells with beds and toilets were provided. Sometimes as many as four men were in one cell, which defeats the purpose of solitary. solitary. confinement, yeah. And is also just super fucking, like, extra cruel. Yeah, dude, what? In 1926, just three years later, a more severe solitary confinement structure was built. Oh, good. They called this one Siberia. Uh, They were small dark cells with no light, no furniture, and no water. Conditions were brutal, and some died from the elements or from weak, like weakened conditions due to being stuck in those situations. Oh, my God. Okay, I've never understood. Like, I get solitary confinement is a punishment. But I thought the solitariness of it was the punishment. Why is it always in a dark dungeon where there's no light? Because people are cruel. For real, though. Inmates in solitary confinement could be locked up from days to weeks. 30 days was the average. They were fed once a day, 
could shower once a week, and the only light they had came in from a small opening at the top of the cell. It said that some inmates, after being stuck in this horrible situation, would, were just known to yell constantly. Yeah. From 1870 up until 1934, the penitentiary was free of prisoner riots, but this ended in 1935 with a melee in the dining hall. Dishes and tables were thrown everywhere. In 1952, major damage costing thousands of dollars to the multipurpose building resulted when 250 prisoners took over the building in protest when the warden broke a promise. And uh, So basically, the warden sent these four like ringleaders mm-hmm. to solitary after an unrelated incident, and apparently there must have been some promise that he wouldn't or something like that because, yeah, they they... They went all out. They raged against that machine. In 1952 and 1954, the multipurpose building was repaired and concrete and steel were used to construct two modern cell houses, blocks four and five. Block five had the death chamber room on the west side of the second floor near the end of the building. A little more than 600 prisoners were able to be housed in the prison at any time. In its 101 years, there were 13,000 prisoners throughout the old Idaho penitentiary, 215 of them being women. 10 people were executed at the penitentiary. 110 prisoners died due to illness, murder, suicide, or old age. There were more than 500 escapees from the old Idaho penitentiary. My source, Dear Boise, went on to say, although only 90 of those inmates remained at large after their escape. Only 90? And my brain was like, excuse me? So even if you go, like, it says there were more than 500. Uh, but if you just do 500 and do 90 of 500, that's 18%. 18% of the escapees remained at large. That's not a small number. I really hope that most of them were there for like petty crimes. And yep. they're like, fuck these sandstone walls. And then they just left. And then officials were just like, I don't know, man. Maybe it's not really worth the manpower. Rather than... You know, serial killers or whatever getting away and then people being like, I don't know what happened to them. (laughs) So riots also broke out in the prison in 1971 and 1973. The chapel was burned by prisoners and many other buildings were damaged. The 1973 riot was worse than the one before it. And it sounds like that was the catalyst that really pushed it over the edge for the penitentiary to be closed. Mm. Well, you know. And so they were transferred to other prisons in the area. So many people are escaping. There's all these riots happening. I, maybe they just needed a new prison. The buildings were left as they were after that final riot. So when you visit the prison today, you will see calendars hanging from the walls, what was left of the prison after the riot, like personal belongings are in some of the cells. That is So I'm obsessed with, like, abandoned buildings that were, like, caught in time. Some of the prison's most famous inmates were Raymond Allen Snowden, who was dubbed as Idaho's Jack the Ripper, Harry Orchard, who assassinated Idaho Governor Frank Steuenberg in 1905. Steuenberg? Steuenberg. It's one of those two. Okay. I looked up the pronunciation, and I've forgotten now. Yeah, I always look up the pronunciation, and I never remember. And Lida Southard, one of the country's first known female serial killers. According to the old Idaho Penitentiary website, some paranormal investigative groups, including the show that shall not be named, have captured strange and unexplainable images during trips to the penitentiary. Others claim to hear voices or be physically touched or sense a heaviness or strange feelings. When visiting the site, especially in the Siberia and Gallows room in the maximum security cell house. Oh, I'm so, so surprised by that. So, yeah, this bitch is haunted. Some have seen dancing orbs in the courtyard late at night and lights on in cell blocks that have no electricity. Oh. Marie Cuff and Julie Decker wrote about the old Idaho State Penitentiary in a book uh, called Weird Hauntings. It's made by the same people who make all those weird state things. Mm, yeah. So they are part of the Idaho Spirit Seekers, which is a paranormal research team. And they recalled how years ago, an anonymous person wrote to them after claiming to have seen the ghosts of two prisoners working in the Rose Garden on the grounds. Oh, okay. That seems like a pretty okay afterlife, though. Just trimming roses. (laughs) They weren't surprised since the Rose Garden now sits in a place where 
the movable prison gallows once stood. Okay, well, that really ruined the beautifulness of that moment. Six of the ten executions on this site were carried out with the gallows. So the Idaho Spirit Seekers, after getting this anonymous letter, uh, went out to do an investigation of the property. This was in October of 2005. While in the Rose Garden, a team member named Dan said that he had begun getting a headache and it was only getting worse the longer he stood there. So while he was talking about his experience, another team member named Kelly was taking pictures. While examining the pictures, they saw two orbs around Dan. And one was very large. And within the timeline, the worse Dan's headache got, the brighter the orbs, especially that large one, appeared in the images. Interesting. And and then as quickly as the headache came on, it was gone and the orbs no longer appeared in the images. Interesting. So they're thinking he's uh, like zapping his energy? Or something like that, yeah. Apparently, many spirits still find the Rose Garden a place to get away. It is thought that some have fond memories taking care of the plants in the area, so that goes along with what you have. I like that way better than the gallows part. Yep. Or just enjoy the flowers that bloom there now because it is a well-kept garden. So like if you're going to be stuck in this penitentiary for all eternity, might as well look at some pretty stuff. I yeah. Rather than be stuck in the, you know, cells frozen in time. I have a question. Did you see anything about so the original sandstone cells that were wildly inappropriate for temperature-wise? Did they continue to use those or did they update them or? Well, I know they continued to use the blocks. I, well, it said at some point, like everything got updated throughout time. So I imagine they added in electricity, ventilation, stuff like that. Okay. But it's still the original buildings. Okay. There are reports of a male spirit dressed in prison issue gardening clothes that has been seen by visitors taking care of the plants. When he is seen, at first, he resembles a normal living person, and it's not till later that they're like, oh, shit, that was a ghost. Yeah. Some spirits like to harass paranormal investigators around 3 o'clock in the morning in this area. It appears that that's when they have the most control. It's 3 a.m. Moving cold spots are felt here even when it's hot outside and there is no wind. The team stayed at the penitentiary the whole night so that they could do a complete investigation. They pointed out that only one of the cell blocks had working electricity, so it was very dark throughout most of the investigation. Only dimly lit through the windows from the moon, streetlights, and parking lot lights outside. After investigating a number of the buildings without much success, they entered Cell House 3, which was built in 1899. When they crossed the threshold, they heard what sounded like someone working on one of the pipes, like with a wrench, like the clanging metal on metal sound? Or is it someone trying to break through a pipe, Shawshank Redemption style? (laughs) I highly doubt that. There was no thunderstorm that I could see in this report. It was clear and distinct, and the sound was heard by the entire team. And they looked all over Cell House 3. They could not find any explanation for the cause of the noise. No one was working on the building that night, and the building itself had no operative plumbing. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it wasn't just, like, the pipes settling or whatever. Right, like, like old radiators do. It, wasn't, it definitely wasn't that. So they moved on to another part of the cell house, but still in the same block. They went up the stairs to the next level to an area that seems to get very little foot traffic, like it's not open to the general public as part of the tour. And it was covered in graffiti and fire marks from that last riot in 1973. When they were about halfway down the dark, narrow walkway in front of the cells, a team member named Maria noticed a picture of three men in prison garb on the back wall of a cell. She tried to stick her arm through the bars to get pictures. It was difficult, so she just kind of, they they, they moved on. Her and Kelly was the other investigator, Mm -hmm. and they went down the walkway. When they arrived at the second cell from the end, Marie noticed a similar picture on the back of the wall of that cell. This time it was two men, but they were wearing the same kind of prison uniform as the three from the other picture. So she thought, you know, maybe I'll get a better picture in this cell. So she tried again, reached her hand through the bars, and then she felt someone reach out and run their fingers through her hair. Okay, I was... I don't like that, but I also was definitely expecting in both those instances for someone to grab her hand and like 
pull her against like, the bars. Yeah. No, no, no. Just she felt somebody run their fingers through her hair. That is gross. But I must say, I do love the idea of prisoners having like pictures with their besties hanging <laughs> up in their cells. Like that's so cute. The cell was locked and empty. She said it was a gentle touch, but it was very unsettling, obviously. Yeah. And as she and Kelly left the upper level, they felt like they were being watched. You got pretty hair. (laughs) I say that to Steve a lot. Or, I really like your mouth. (laughs) You got a pretty mouth. You got a pretty mouth. Have you watched Deliverance? No. (laughs) So you're just quoting it without (laughs) Dude, I reference Deliverance so much for someone who's literally never seen it. <laughs> you're, you're not missing much, honestly. I like your skin. <laughs> Cell Block 5 has some of the most paranormal activity on the campus. The spirit of inmate Douglas Von Vlock, who committed suicide, makes his presence known by causing batteries to go dead. And he has been seen as a greenish light in photos. The spirit of the killer, Raymond Snowden, who was strangled to death in a botched hanging, still lingers near the death chamber, reliving his painful end. From what I understand, it was one of those instances with a hanging where... They didn't do the math right. Yeah, and so instead of neck snapping, slowly suffocated. Ugh, that just... People are awful to each other. In this area, people hear an unseen presence gasping for air. When a guide was standing on the trap door in the execution chamber, she heard the door to the stairway slam with a big bang and all the lights went out on the second floor. She was standing on the trap door? Yeah. That seems silly. Well, I mean, she's just being a guide. She's guiding people on the tour, so she was just showing it. I wouldn't trust a hundred-year-old trap door. (laughs) It's not like it's a door down into a basement. It's just, you know. It was still hurt. She might sprain her ankle, I guess. Seems like you could simply (laughs) avoid a sprained ankle by not standing Standing on on the the trap door. Other full-bodied apparitions have been seen in here as well, along with hearing the sound of cell doors closing, and they think that this might be a residual loop. Mm. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the maximum security building has the heaviest negative energy, and that's felt by many. Not surprised. The multi-purpose building is said to have unseen spirits, just various noises, but nothing seen. The spirit of a man who was sexually assaulted and killed in the communal shower room during the August 1971 riot makes his presence known in random and benign ways. Uh, According to hauntedhouses.com, he interacted with Aaron on Ghost Adventures. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch the episode, but when I looked it up on the Ghost Adventures wiki, it said that while Aaron was in the communal shower, he reported that a water bottle in his back pocket got pulled by some mysterious force. And it would turn out that just before that transpired, the static night vision camera in the cell caught unusual, moving, distinctive shadows moving among Aaron's shadow. Oh, That's rough. That's a rough story. And from all these reports that I'm getting where they're saying, you know, like, uh, unseen spirits, heaviest negative energy, there's a lot of mediums that have visited the area. Mm -hmm. So that's where they're getting a lot of, like, who these people are. And from what I can tell, they verified, like, you know, the, the gentleman who was killed in that riot in the communal shower, like, they have reports of the death. Right. So that's where they're coming, between that and the mediums, that's where they're coming up with who the spirits are. That makes sense. In cell block two, the spirit of a large burly man is known to shove staff and visitors in the back. This cell block is also said to hold a lot of residual energy from the riots. And according to hauntedhouses.com, some spirits like to act as volunteer docents uh, or guides. I had to look up what a docent was. A docent is a guide. I had that come up in my story too. Oh, nice. Weird. I also had to look it up. I'm like, I've never seen this word before. (laughs) I've heard it in Gilmore Girls, but Mm. I had never knew what it was. Right. I just went with it because they use a lot of big words. (laughs) So, quote from hauntedhouses.com. A female spirit, Cora, and a male spirit, lifer Harry Orchard, are both enthusiastic about being in a museum exhibit. They volunteer to be unpaid docents, gladly showing mediums and other psychic folks around their prison home. 
Cora is apparently on the welcoming committee for the front gate and was the spectral docent for the women's prison. And Harry popped in and out, telling the medium named Jennifer about each area the investigation visited. Interesting. The prison is now owned and operated by the Idaho State Historical Society. When you visit, you can see solitary confinement, cell blocks, and the gallows. There are also 30 historic buildings and special rotating exhibits, including the J. Curtis Early Memorial Exhibit, which is a collection of weaponry throughout history. The weapons range from the Bronze Age to modern day. That's weird. Okay. And that collection was donated in 1999 to the state of Idaho. So if if you're a weapons buff, that'd be pretty cool to see. The old Idaho Penitentiary also holds dozens of events throughout the year, including ghost tours, yoga in the yard, fundraisers, and field trips. I don't know how I feel about yoga in the yard. You can take self-guided tours of the facility all year long, Monday through Sunday, except for, you know, major holidays. And guided tours are available most days for just an additional $2 fee. And from the website, it looks like availability just depends on staffing and such. Wait, they have yoga in the yard, but you're not allowed to go on Christmas? I don't understand what that connection is. <laughs> like, I don't know why. It really disrespectful. Like, <laughs> I, like, like, you're like, uh, you can't go on Christmas, but you can do <laughs> yoga. And I'm like, those two things are not related. Like, I don't know where we're going with this. And I don't have the brain capacity to explain it. My whole thing is that yoga in the yard seems really disrespectful. Uh, so Christmas, like, putting any sort of blockage on when you can go because of like holidays i think that's just because they don't want people to have to be staffed there yeah i know i'm just trying to make (laughs) a a stronger point about how much i dislike yoga in the yard go to your breweries do your goat yoga you don't need to do yoga at the at the penitentiary right just get some baby goats uh dude they have puppy yoga they have kitten yoga do that don't do it at the penitentiary Oh, geez. So that is the story of <laughs> sorry, the old really, Idaho State Penitentiary. <laughs> really took over your the ending of your story. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give the old Idaho State Penitentiary? I'm going to give it a 3.5. Nice, nice. I was going four. Okay. I'm not yeah. always super big on, like, I don't. A prison is not necessarily something that I'm immediately like, okay, yeah, that's haunted. Right. But how old it is, the terrible conditions, the riots, and the number of deaths makes me think that I could see this being haunted. I like how this week age plays into your rating. But last week it didn't? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's arbitrary. <laughs> I have I'm, different I'm not reasonings. Bitter. I'm not bitter. Oh, it was a great story. I know. I know. Uh, you know what? And some days I'm just more skeptical than others. I know. Some days I want some days I'm a molder and other days I'm a scully, you I, know? I feel like today I'm being real scully. You're just totally scullying it up. I'm so scully. Damn it. Here we go. I don't know. I thought the wah 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 made more sense. I was just trying to go for an X Files style sound. Brittany's trying to be funny. Wah, wah, wah. Steve's here with a delivery. Oh God, you scared me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's <laughs> oh. oh. <sighs> tap check for you. Thank you. Wait, does that need a church key or are they twist offs? Guess what? I don't have a church key, I do have a glenching key. <laughs> You don't want to use the key to Glenchine? Come on now. Well, that's so the golden key to Glenchine. Quick beer break here. Um, on the when I was in the UMD pet band. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. When I was in the UMD pet band, uh huh. Um, at the time I didn't drink. There were because I lived in two harbors, so I was constantly having to, you know, drive back home after the pet band parties yeah but every time somebody had to open a bottle of beer everybody said the church key and i just thought that was a known thing you call the bottle opener a church key and now that's like my go-to phrase for it yeah nobody knows what i'm talking about when i say it i'll just be like hey do you have a church key and they're like that bottle opener okay so in this instance by context i knew what you were talking about 
yeah. and I just humorously had a have key. a little bottle bottle opener <laughs> from Glenshine that's shaped like a key. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, I don't have that, but I do have a key to Glenshine. <laughs> <sighs> All right, beers open. What mm-hmm. do you got for me this week? Uh, tonight I. I'm doing a seaster request. Ooh, a seaster request from your seaster or my seaster? From my seaster. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I failed in her request to cover a story from Rogue Valley. So she now has to go on work trips. Okay. Which I don't think she really cares for that much. I think it sounds amazing, but I don't know. I don't work for her company. She does chemistry stuff. Uh, but so she had mentioned she was going to go to Rogue Valley and she wanted me to do a story about it. I did not. But luckily, in a lovely chance of redemption, she's going on another work trip. Woo! Woo! So like I said, I don't think she really likes these road trips very much, but hopefully this helps. Wait, so she has to road trip to these places? She doesn't, they don't fly her? No, I think she flies. Oh, okay. But I would be definitely like... I don't mind work trips. I've gotten to take two now. It's great. Yeah. But they fly us. If I had to drive to these places, I'm sure I'd be annoyed as hell. I feel like she has to go by herself. Yeah, that'd get boring. Yeah. Also, I'm guessing she's kind of like me where when I'm in a new place where I've never done anything before and I'm by myself, I get like really anxious about it. That could be. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. That makes sense. I don't know. She also like, I don't know, likes her family or whatever. So <laughs> maybe she doesn't want to leave that. What's that like? I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she is going to Virginia Beach. And okay. so one of the most haunted places in Virginia Beach is the Fairy Plantation House. I have never heard of it. Me neither. All right. So the land that the Fairy Plantation House resides on, uh, to probably no one's surprise, was once occupied by the indigenous people of the area, dating back to at least the 16th century, based upon the artifacts found on the site. They are also credited with the initial clearing of the land. So the indigenous people cleared the land, and then white people were like, well, that's a fine-looking piece of land. So that's our land now. Not to get too ahead of the game here, but you're saying they displaced the indigenous, like, people of the area, and Mm. then put a plantation up, which I'm guessing means slavery? You know, they really don't talk that much about the slavery. Okay. It's interesting. It's interesting. Okay. All right. So then in 1642, a man named Seville Gaskin was commissioned by Adam Thorogood II to create the second ferry service along the Lynn Haven Waterway. Bad to the bone. It's thorough good. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) The ferry service would carry passengers to the county courthouse and to other plantations along the waterway, and it had as many as 11 stops. Okay. The commission was for ferry services for one year, and Savile Gaskin, for his service, was paid 800 pounds of tobacco. Just paid in tobacco? Yep. Uh, Wacky tobacco or just straight up tobacco? I'm guessing just regular tobacco. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have a story about some wacky tobacco for you. Maybe I'll try and find a really stoned ghost or something for a future story. <laughs> Woodstock. Would like, if Woodstock is haunted, I would like the grounds that that was on. I'd I bet be interested. a couple people die during Woodstock. I would, I would guess so. Yeah. But anyway, so this fairy service would later inspire the name for the fairy plantation house. And fun fact It doesn't sound like this ferry service was any sort of like constant loop, like how public transportation is now. Okay. But rather, the ferry driver was summoned by cannon. Okay. So it's like (laughs) hailing a cab, cannon a ferry. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. They're like, hey, we need help over here. Boom. Um, in 1735, the oldest section of the currently existing building was constructed on this site. It was the third Princess Anne Courthouse and was the first brick courthouse in the county. Okay. So prior to 1735, the county used the second Princess Anne Courthouse. They just kept calling all their courthouses the Princess Anne Courthouse and then adding which number it was. That had to get confusing. 
Oh, yeah. Meet me at the courthouse. Which one? Which one? Seven, eight, 15? Maybe the first. No, or was it the third? <laughs> but anyway, so the the second Princess Anne courthouse, uh, which dates back to the late 1600s, is also found on the plantation's property. This timber courthouse, because again, the third one is the first brick one. So this timber courthouse was one of the locations used in the trial of Grace Sherwood, Virginia's only woman who was tried and found guilty of witchcraft. Wow. The trial by water. You didn't see it, but she just eye-rolled as she said that so hard. This is what a stupid, stupid test. (laughs) Uh, It took place on July 10th, 1706. The third Princess Anne courthouse remained the county's courthouse until William Walk, whose family purchased the land from the Smythes, constructed the Walk Mansion in 1751, using the original courthouse building as a kitchen. <laughs> that makes sense. Courthouse to kitchen. It's no, it's how you do. Uh, there were several fires that resulted in substantial damage to the new Walk Mansion. But it wasn't until September 12th, 1828, that the Walk Mansion, or Walk Manor House, as some folks called it, was destroyed by fire beyond repair. I would want to call it the Walkman. Well, and I have a really hard time because I think it's pronounced walk, but it's the word walk with an E at the end. Oh, And yep, I keep yep. really wanting to be like, walk I don't. I don't think that's true. I think it's just walk. Anyway, two years later in 1830, the current house that still exists today was built by George and Elizabeth McIntosh, formerly Elizabeth Walk. And it was an extension to the still standing original brick courthouse because that didn't get destroyed in the fire. And then they used the remaining good bricks from the ruins of the Walk Mansion to create this new McIntosh house. Okay. George and Elizabeth built the new house for their 17-year-old son, Charles. Then in 1850, a third section of the house was added. This one was built out of timber, as if they didn't learn from all these fires in the past. Just kidding, there are no more fires. Um, (laughs) This is known as the West Bay and was likely built for McIntosh's expanding family. That same year, Charles and his wife, Isabella, welcomed their son, George, followed by Annie, another Isabella, Helen, and lastly, Elizabeth. You know, just thinking about, like, the repeats of names. So confusing. Like, I know that some people mock parents for choosing, like, weird or different names. Right. But, you know, it's not bad. Like, why do there need to be a bunch of Georges or a bunch of Isabellas? I'm not against those names. They're good names. But, like, don't be like, oh, yeah, they named them some weird random name. They named him Renesme. <laughs> no, like, no one likes Renesme. <laughs> I'm just using, like, like, that's the first, like, thing that comes into my head. It's like, you know what? Let them do it. it you know, they're, they're, there's a million Kaylas in the world. There's a million Britneys in the world. Let them pick a different and more original name. I'm, you know, that's true, but there's not a lot of K-A-L-A's. It's true, but that's just because my parents can't spell. Burn. No, it, it was it was an on purpose thing, but I just means I never get a personalized license plate. Oh, I'll make you one. <laughs> a year after their last child, uh, Elizabeth Charles would go on to fight for the baddies during the Civil War, as part of the Confederate States Navy. He was then wounded in battle and died on May thirteenth, eighteen sixty two. In 1896, the three-story, 10-bedroom house was then sold to a man named Charles Barnett. And during its time with the Barnett family, the house was updated with quote-unquote modern conveniences like indoor plumbing and electricity. And then in 1942, the Barnett family sold the house to C.W. Hudgens, who then sold it to Mrs. Howerin, who passed away in 1986. After this, the house remained abandoned until it was purchased by developers in 1994 and then turned over to the city of Virginia Beach two years later when it was leased to the Friends of the Ferry Plantation House, Inc. And renovations of the property began. Okay. In 2004, the Ferry Plantation House was listed on the Virginia Landmarks Register and a year later on the National Register of Historic Places. 
and currently the home is available for tours. Andrea, you can book them as much as 30 days in advance. Nice. Make a plan, Andrea. Make a plan. Go. Go see it. Tell me how it is. Uh, And even better, they do not shy away from the paranormal stories surrounding the property. Love that. And there are allegedly as many as 11 ghosts that haunt the property with sightings per the house's website going back possibly as far as the early 1900s. Cool. One of these, the most famous, is that of Grace Sherwood, who was tried by ducking and convicted of witchcraft. Ducking is the water test? Yep. As with many witches of the time, Grace was accused by neighbors in 1698 of having bewitched their pigs to death, as well as having caused the failure of their cotton crops. I also read one article that said that she was also, like, really, really pretty, and maybe the women of the town were just jealous. She's prettier than me. She must be a witch. And she definitely bewitched my pigs to death and <laughs> ruined ruined our cotton. The fabric of our lives. Um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with one neighbor even claiming that Grace had entered her house one night and then left through the keyhole or a crack in the door before turning into a black cat. I like really escalated at the end there. Yeah. Uh, eventually these rumors led to Grace's trial in 1706 after a quote-unquote lengthy investigation. The local justices decided to test Grace's innocence via ducking. She turned me into a newt. I got better. The quote practice of ducking with her hands and feet bound together, she was tossed from a boat into an area of the Lynn Haven River known as Witch Duck Creek. If she sank, it was confirmation of her innocence. Water being a pure element, it would mean she was accepted by it. However, if she floated, she was presumed guilty, unquote. I would just, I just, some people just naturally float too. So like at that point, even if she wanted to sink, like to try to make herself sink so she could pass the test. Right. Like at that point, some people just can't sink. Except for you... Just to pass the test, she would have to die. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's the that's the thing. Like, even that's, if she wanted to try to, like, just, okay, and hold my breath really long time and just try to, like, chill. <laughs> Good luck. No, I know. I was just How throwing long? it out there. I, but, like, the whole idea of the floating thing, because I know, I know a few people that, like, honestly, their difficulty swimming is that they, like, their bodies naturally want to float. They're just too buoyant. Yeah. So, Grace... Instead of just, like, going with the flow, uh, Grace managed to free herself from her bindings, and she swam to the surface. Once ashore, she was examined for witch's marks, and a jury of women found two marks, and then, bam, witch. Okay. Uh, I I was like, I don't know what to say to that. Like I already, I already fought the, the I already fought the, the, the ducking test. Like at this point, I'm just like, yeah, no, we all know I don't agree with this stuff. Uh, Grace was convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to seven years in prison, which is kind of surprisingly a short amount of time, considering the other folks who were found guilty of witchcraft were yeah. like burned at the stake or like crushed to death by rocks. Yeah, but I'm glad for Grace. Um, when she was released, she returned home, she paid her back taxes, and then she worked on her farm until her death at the age of 80 in 1740. Okay, so best case scenario. Best case scenario. Like, she shouldn't have been attempted to be drowned, uh, and she shouldn't have gone to jail, but she wasn't crushed to death by stones, so she made it out ahead of most people. Yes, yes. Uh, side note, per the plantation's website, Belinda Nash, the fairy plantation found, founder, petitioned three governors for over 20 years to have Grace Sherman's formally exonerated. And then on July 10th, 2006, 300 years to the day, Grace's good name was restored by Governor Timothy Kane. I always like it when, when they get like, what is it, posthumously pardoned? Yeah and no. Only because I'm just like, what good does that do? I think it. I think it's good that like people still acknowledge the okay, fact that this yeah. is, was stupid. 
You guys were jerks. <laughs> Admit it. That makes that makes sense. Yes, you're right. You're right. But I'm curious as to why it took 20 years for a governor to like agree to this. Maybe because it, a lot of people had my thought process of like, why? Well, if why, then why not? There you go. So folks now report seeing the ghost of a woman believed to be Grace with long wet hair walking along the banks of the river at night. I don't know why she would be there. Well, I mean, I wonder, hey, like, because that was 2006, you said? Yeah. I wonder if there are any reports after the 2006 thing. Like, maybe she was, maybe she was, like, Roman until she was exonerated. You know what I mean? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't actually have a time she didn't like, as to when it had it happened. Maybe she didn't like that her name was being, you know, sullied, and then all of a sudden they get the better news, and boom. Maybe she was like... You think I'm a witch that needs to be drowned? Well, then I guess I'll be a soggy witch on the banks of this river. (laughs) A soggy witch on the banks of the river. Another ghost that can allegedly be seen roaming the property is that of Sally Rebecca Walk. Daughter of William Walk, who built the Walk Mansion in 1751, Sally lost her fiancé John in the Revolutionary War. After his death, she planted a magnolia tree on the grounds in his honor, and she is said to be seen wandering the gardens near the tree and throughout the plantation as if she was waiting for him to return. I'm trying to think of, like, what what I'm trying to say, what I want to say. Like, I can't tell if that's more sad or less sad. Like, you're eternally waiting, but that does that mean you're not eternally suffering? You well, know what I mean? Because you're still hopeful, maybe? I mean, during the Revolutionary War, as I said, it was that last week's episode? Last week, yep. Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of bodies didn't get returned home. So, yes, she lost her fiancé, and maybe it was assumed he was dead, but a lot of times you didn't get that confirmation. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no confirmation, so she's not spending eternity, like, mourning. But she's like mourning because he's not there. But she's like... Hopeful, maybe? I'm trying to find a positive spin. Maybe. I'm finding a positive spin on this. Oh, I love that. I love that for us. A positive (laughs) spin. See, I'm still feeling very scully tonight. So, (laughs) Uh, An artist named Thomas Williamson, who is famous locally for having painted a watercolor of the Walk Manor uh, and plantation in the 1800s, who also lived in the manor for some time during his life, can be seen at the top of the stairs, continuing to do what he loved, painting. I like that. A local professor would often visit the plantation with her granddaughter, started when she was infant. Uh, The granddaughter's name was Kathleen. And according to the website, when Kathleen was then a toddler, she would periodically mention the presence of a man with a beard wearing a dirty shirt and painting a picture on the second floor landing of the staircase. The friends of the plantation house have since located a picture of Thomas Williamson, who appears to match Kathleen's description, though they specified, quote, he is not wearing a dirty shirt in the picture. Yeah, but they would, you know, they're ghosts as they lived. You're painting, you get dirty. You get dirty. But they're not going to paint a portrait of someone in their dirty painted shirt. You only got one picture in your whole lifetime. You're going to make it count, and you're going to dress fancy. Exactly. And, of course, what's a haunted plantation without the ghost of a former enslaved person? Yeah. This is actually very specifically why I do not do plantation stories. I hate having to talk about it. Like, I recognize it as, like, a fully... I'll learn about it on my own. I just... It's a whole part of the history, but, like, I don't, yeah, I don't feel comfortable talking about it. I think that it's stuff that people need to know about. Right. But, like, at some point, you run the risk of sounding like you're making light of it, and we don't ever want to do that. Exactly, which is why I just avoid plantations altogether. But this is the only one I found that was in Virginia Beach. And this is the only story that has anything to do with it. So I okay. appreciate that. A lot of the stories otherwise have like horrible details. Horrible details and a lot of them almost get to sounding like victim blaming where like the ghosts yeah. are the ghosts of enslaved people and they make it sound like it's their fault. And like, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. I know. 
All right. So during the 1980s, when the last owner of the house, Miss Howren, had been moved to a nursing home, she hired a caretaker to watch over the property. This caretaker is said to have experienced the residual activities of a former enslaved person. An older African-American gentleman is said to come up from the basement, specifically, usually, apparently on Saturday nights. Okay. And he would walk across the room, kneel in front of the opposite wall of, like, the door to the basement, uh, allegedly completing a long-ago chore. After a few minutes, he would get up, turn around, and walk back down to the basement. Years later, during the restoration of that room, a fireplace was discovered behind that wall. Oh, okay. So probably tending to the fire. Yeah. So through EVPs from several paranormal investigations, folks have come to the conclusion that this man's name is Henry. He lived on the plantation for his entire life in the third floor quarters of the old kitchen. So the old kitchen is the brick courthouse? Yes. Okay. Yes. So on the third floor is where the enslaved folks would live. In 1810, a ship is said to have wrecked at the ferry landing, reportedly leaving the spirits of the sailors who perished in the crash stranded on the plantation property. That's sad. That's part of the 11. So would, like, does it say if it's for that ferry or if it was just a random other boat? I saw something that where the year was off based upon a Wikipedia article that it could be a boat called Lucy. That crashed in 1811. Okay. In that area. Um, maybe perhaps a lot of the sailors like tried to swim to shore there. Okay. And maybe some of them didn't make it is oh. what I'm guessing. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. That's the most sense that I can find from it. There is a lady in white who is said to roam the house. She is allegedly the ghost of a woman who had died in 1826 after falling down the stairs in the house and breaking her neck. Sad. Staff members claim to see the ghosts of two children, a boy and a girl, on the second floor landing. Some investigators believe that one of them might be the ghost of a little boy named Eric, who is said to have fallen from a window uh, in what is now known as the conference room sometime around 1850. Children's voices have been picked up in that room, both as EVPs and as audible voices, and toys in this room sometimes move on their own. That's, I mean, that's one of the most reliable ways that I enjoy of ghost hunters trying to, like, find ghosts is by bringing out toys when there's kid spirits. I know. And just, like, imagining, like, yeah, these kids are probably bored. Let's come into toys. For real. At least they have each other, though. True. True. Otherwise, that would be really boring. Uh, I mean, as a kid, I got bored if I was left in the house by myself for, like, a half an hour. I know. I mean, <laughs> as an adult, I feel that way. Thank God for TikTok. <laughs> the girl child is said to be the ghost of Bessie, or Elizabeth McIntosh, the last-born child of Charles and Isabella. According to official records, she died just one day before her fifth birthday. Uh, she died due to consumption. However, some folks believe that it might have actually been yellow fever, which was running rampant at that time in the area. Bessie does fit the description of several sightings of the little girl with ringlets and wearing Mary Jane shoes. What are Mary Jane shoes? Uh, cute. Think, uh... Like, like, schoolgirl shoes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Didn't even have to say it, but that's exactly the wording I was going to use. <laughs> Former investigator of Acid Paranormal, now vice president of the board of directors with the Friends of the Fairy Plantation House, his name is Cody Green, said in a 2022, a 2022 interview uh, with, sometimes I forget how we say the 2000 years, uh, with an interview with 13 News Now, that Bessie was one of his favorite ghosts of the house. Quote, she's actually my hug when I come into the house every day. When I come in, I say, hi house, and I get a hug right around my thighs. It's super active, but it's also super positive. There's nothing negative here that's going to harm anybody, unquote. This Cody sounds like the opposite of you. Like, you don't want ghosts to touch you at all. And then he's like, hey, where's my ghostly hug? Let's do this. Good morning. (laughs) 
Uh, visitors and staff have also reported hearing the sound of chains dragging, possibly from its time as a courthouse, as well as other inexplicable noises. Okay. okay. And maybe the fact that they're inexplicable is why they didn't describe them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For years, when the residence was all but abandoned, locals claimed to have seen the lights in the building turning off and on, particularly on the third floor, as well as strange balls of lights that were said to be seen dancing on the roof. Okay. This is a phenama- phenomena. Phenomenon. <laughs> this is a phenomenon that continues to this day. Part of the closing duties for the volunteers includes shutting all of the lights out in the house before leaving. Standard. Uh, many of the opening volunteers report coming in in the morning to find the lights on on the third floor. That's a big thing. Yep. It, lights, light, light issues and them being left on when you know you shut them off. That's a glenchine right. thing. It's a glenchine thing. Yep. It is indeed. Uh, quote, just because it's paranormal doesn't mean it's scary. You know, people come in here expecting to be scared because it's a haunted house. That's just not how it works. They aren't always there to scare you, Vice President Cody Green said. According to Mr. Green, more than 600 paranormal investigators have visited the home. Some even catching ghostly figures on camera, glowing orbs, and some folks have claimed that their cars have stalled in front of the building while a white wisp hovered over them. Don't hover. Uh -uh. It's rude. (laughs) It's just rude. It's just rude, okay? Don't hover. Who knows? Maybe my sister, my my sister, will be able to tell us. If she experiences anything spooky, if she goes during her trip in September, I hope you do. Um, I wish we had a bank account. I would write it off, but I I can't do that. We don't have one. We are not an LLC. We are not an LLC. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is the story of the Fairy Plantation House. I love it. Thank you. It sounds like a place I would not be scared to visit. Because I mean, none they of those... very specifically said that, too. Yeah, like... <laughs> None of those ghostly things sound bad. Right. Um, and also, I mean, I just, it's just, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. I've, it doesn't give, it gives me a happy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. For the, the most part. So that Cody Green guy, like I said, he was originally part of the team for Acid Paranormal and he went to the house to investigate, decided he absolutely loved it just as a location and then became the vice president of the board of directors. <laughs> and now he just works there. Um, I would say on a skeptic scale, I'm going to also give this location a four. Oh, nice. I think, I think that sounds, I think anytime you have a location that they say is haunted, but they specifically point out that it's not negative hauntings, I'm more inclined to believe it because they're not st- spreading scary stories so right. there's less motivation to tell them right right i do think that bessie seems pretty cool for like a little kid and uh yeah i don't think that um grace the quote-unquote witch yeah is really a haunted figure there but you know yeah i think yeah I'm, i don't know that i believe the grace part but the rest of it yeah, seems believable yeah i think i'm gonna give it a, a three because i'm scully you are scully tonight Yeah, yeah, but yeah, cool. Andrea, please go. Tell us. Tell us what what you thought. Let me know if the kitchen or courthouse turned kitchen looks like a courthouse still. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I've uh, I've never had a any reason to want to visit Virginia. So. I guess I couldn't put that on my list of places to visit. Yeah. like one location to visit does not make me want to visit the whole state. I mean, there's a lot of haunted ass shit. I, I believe it. I believe it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, eh, it's not high on my list. But maybe if we got a pile up of enough locations there. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest thing is similar to what we were talking about in this one. It's like all the Virginia hauntings have to do with the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. And I have I have feels and thoughts. Feels and about thoughts. That. And, so. and from what we understand, there's a risk if you visit some southern states that your feels and thoughts uh, are not always going to be appreciated. appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I worry I would get in trouble. <laughs> oh, geez. 
If you have a paranormal experience, a listener story you'd like to share with us, you know, did you see a UFO? Have you seen a spooky ghost? Uh, do you have a place you want us to cover either for Urban Legends October or something else in the future? You can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you are more comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Also, uh... This is a great time of year because it's spooky season to get people into listening to our podcast if you have, you know, people you think might enjoy it. yeah, And I would like to remind people that not only if you go to our website, is there a starter pack list on the website of like five of our most well-liked episodes based by listeners' feedback, but also if you're on Spotify and search Left of Skeptic Starter Pack, it comes up right there and all of those episodes are right on that playlist. Yeah, it's also pinned on our Instagram. Yes, it is. All right, well. Uh, I guess it's time to go home. Yeah. Sunday night. Uh-huh. Got to get some sleep. Got to work in the morning. Got to go back to work in the morning. Boo. Boo. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us this week. We love you and appreciate you very much. It's true, we do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, okay. bye. Try a different tone that time. I liked it. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> the Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye. Thank you.